Hi, I'm Rob Vilnev, CEO of Rebel.com and Startup Canada Fellow for Culture and Engagement. We all strive to help our customers accomplish what they set out to do without unnecessary barriers. And it's critical to empower your employees in the same way. Our challenge as leaders is to learn to trust our employees with any and all information they may need to get their job done. It can feel scary to share company secrets or really important information, but including your employees and demonstrating a high level of trust can unleash them to do their jobs better. The more we understand about our environments, the better we become at navigating them. The key takeaway here, make your people awesome by giving them every tool they may need and watch the productivity rise as a result. Learn how to get the most of your payments through simple, safe and smart card transactions. Visit MasterYourCard.org forward slash Canada for tips to master small business security. Master your card with MasterCard Canada. Is your startup financially fit? Join 10,000 entrepreneurs across Canada building financial foundations with Intuit QuickBooks. Attend a Startup Foundations workshop online or in a startup community near you and receive a free one-year subscription to QuickBooks Online. Visit www.startupcan.ca forward slash finance today to register. You need to be available when a customer needs to reach you. Business depends on it. Rogers Unison provides the powerful features of a traditional desk phone in a simplified and truly mobile solution. No apps to download and launch. No mobile data usage charges for phone calls. No need to pay for unused landlines or desk phones. And the ability to route incoming calls to whoever's available. No more missed calls. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash unison. Get paid faster. Create and send professional email invoices in minutes with PayPal. Join over 250,000 Canadian businesses using PayPal to accept payments. Get started today at www.paypal.ca forward slash small business. Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across the country. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program don't forget to visit the itunes store to subscribe and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join startup canada to access training resources and a peer network to grow your success i am your host rivers corbett founder and ceo of coaching by rockstars ever thought about a career as a business coach coaching by rockstars teaches business coaches how to build a successful coaching business from scratch visit coachingbyrockstars.com for more information all right ladies and gentlemen well this is a special treat 
And uh, because to me, this is the perfect storm of a conversation where you've got a very risk adverse organization or industry connecting with serial entrepreneurship. And I'm just thrilled to have as our guest today, Mr. Eric Apps. He is the co-founder at Alluvian Law and Orgamimni. Eric Apps is a Toronto-based serial entrepreneur on a mission. And here's where it gets interesting. The founder of three law firms. Eric is a seasoned lawyer who is disrupting old school law. Right on. With new and innovative methods. In addition to being an expert in tech law, Eric ran an AI and machine learning software company called Angos for over a decade, long before it was fashionable. Today's interview, we're going to be talking to Eric about how he combines tech, business, and law to disrupt an age-old industry. Eric, I can't wait to have this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Rivers. Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, look, Alluvian stands for creating new land from the old. How are you and your team innovating in the field of law? And if I might go so far as say disrupting in the field of law. Yeah, thanks, Rivers. That's a great question. Um, I think uh, everybody out there probably has their own favorite uh, lawyer joke. Uh, I I went to my uh, 12-year-old daughter at the Times uh, class to talk about being a lawyer. Uh, I thought I'd keep things light. And um, uh, the joke I used was, what do lawyers and sperm have in common? And the answer is one in three million has a chance of becoming a human being. Nice. And how old the grade 11 class? Uh, They were... uh, She was 11. Yeah, she was uh, was 12. But uh, the class... The class reacted fairly positively. They started paying it. They started paying attention after that. I'm not sure yeah. the teacher thought it was so great. Yeah, that doesn't matter. There's a yeah. uh, you know the age old thing is is that uh, is as long as you're cool, they'll listen to anything. And you were definitely cool by saying that. Yeah, but the uh, I think the question uh, really speaks to the uh, the the core issue. Uh, law is probably one of the oldest professions in the world. Um, most people tend to have a fairly dim view of lawyers, and uh, uh, that's for a few reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is that law tends to be very slow. It's been very slow in changing, uh, and it's been very slow, particularly in adopting new business methods and new technology. Uh, and I think a lot of people perceive the legal industry that way. So when you talk about disruption, the kind of disruption that you're seeing in law these days is not unlike the disruption you're seeing in other services industries, in financial services, for example, in telecom. And I think really it's a long overdue wave that is starting to roll now. Very cool. Um, Do you mind if I do my lawyer joke? No, not at all. Please. You kind of expect it, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'll paraphrase it, but it was the guy, the lawyer was at St. Peter's, and St. Peter says, how old are you? The guy says, 70. And he says, well, how is that possible? Because according to your billings, you're 85. (laughs) (laughs) Cha-cha-cha. The tagline at Alluvian is doing legal differently. Okay, we talked about you having to create new, but what does that mean for clients? And, you know, I'm sure you must run across your colleagues who say, man, what are you doing this for? You're driving us crazy from an industry perspective. So can you talk a bit about your clients and also your colleagues in the profession? Uh, Sure. So uh, from uh, a difference point of view, the tagline doing legal differently 
uh, we're hoping is uh, both reflecting what we're trying to do from a branding point of view in the marketplace and also a message that we can take back into the legal industry and particularly to lawyers who are looking for a different approach to their practice. So the kind of innovation that you see from Alluvion is innovation in the business model area from a pricing model point of view, from a profit sharing point of view in terms mm -hmm. of the lawyers that are working on the team and really from a technology and people point of view as well. So if I could use a couple of examples, sure, and maybe we can get into them a bit later. Uh, we've just announced a couple of new solution offerings. One's called Bay Street in a Box, and the other's Virtual In-House Council. And what we're really trying to do is standardize and make a lot more transparent uh, the legal processes that business clients, particularly in the entrepreneurial small mid-market business segment, are looking for when they're uh, looking to either do transactions or get ongoing advice from their lawyers. Very cool. Very cool. And when you, when you, do you, do you dig into, uh, from a client relationship perspective, you know, the, Hey, I got to find out you know, how many kids you have, you know, really digging in more than that, going to where they are versus is, is relationship building a key part of what you're doing right now and doing things differently. Uh, I think relationship building is a key part of what we're doing from the standpoint of the word of mouth uh, factor is still very important in developing and building relationships with your lawyers and other professional advisors. But I guess from, from our point of view, uh, what we're trying to do is give clients new ways of accessing legal services. Right. So instead of the, the two twin, what I'd call the two twin pillars of traditional law. One is the time-based billing model. So you, you alluded to it in your joke where you start off as a junior lawyer, you've got an hourly rate of X and over time it grows to a hideous number. Yes. Uh, that model we think is going by the wayside as is the traditional partnership or pyramid stru structure for how law firms have been built. So mm. if you're looking at a company that would be working with uh, a law firm in the business domain, in the past they'd have a senior partner who would pass the work to a junior partner who would pass the work to associates who would get juniors involved all the way down the chain. And if you're, uh, if you're a client, you're paying for a set of legal services deliverables, uh, not unlike the icebergs of old where you see the tip at the top but there's a lot of stuff dragging under the water. Mm, mm. Um, are you, is this happening, this disruption happening because, because clients are demanding it or because just reality in the industry, it's, uh, you know, competition is changing? Yeah, Rivers, I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, factors at play, as you would guess. There's uh, the basic economic growth factors. So the Canadian economy, as with a lot of other economies, not growing as fast as it used to. So given a slow growth environment, everybody's looking to save costs where they can. Uh, you've got um, uh, changes that have been happening in the legal industry, even as it currently sits, where big international firms have been looking to uh, uh, move into the Canadian marketplace. Some Canadian firms are choosing to participate in that process, like Denton's and Norton Rose. Others are, you know, on the wall and no one's asked them to dance yet. Um, you've got Canadian clients going internationally. 
who are using foreign firms as opposed to the Canadian firms. There was a good article in the Globe on the weekend about how uh, firms expanding globally aren't taking their Canadian firms with them. And then down at the uh, street level, uh, you've got uh, lots of new lawyers being graduated out of law schools every year. So you've got a huge supply of new lawyers coming into the marketplace. And you've also got both business firms uh, expanding their use of in-house counsel talent and firms in other industries, most notably the accounting industry where Deloitte's and a few others have been really expanding their legal services capabilities. Mm. So it's really, you know, the old cliche is the perfect storm. Mm. Uh, but, but these days in the legal services industry, there's significant competitive pressures coming in all directions. I got to think for a guy like you, who's obviously a forward thinker, a visionary, this has got to be a pretty exciting time. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, there are other uh, firms, I should say, who are uh, doing interesting innovation in legal services. So it's a it's a pretty frothy environment right now. There's lots of guys out there uh, building technology that they're hoping to sell to lawyers to make them more efficient. Uh, in doing their work, there's lots of startups. You know, you you know better than anybody how active the Canadian startup marketplace is. It's uh-huh. just as active in uh, the legal technology area as it is elsewhere. Uh. You got big firms like Thomson Reuters and others who are trying to be innovative in uh, legal service delivery. So it's you're right. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Well, talk about exciting. Tell us a bit about about the day in the life of Eric Apps. And uh, you get to pick the day you want, but how does a disruptive serial entrepreneur start and end his day? And what I mean by disruptive serial entrepreneur, I'm talking about you. Um, Yeah, I I suspect anyone who is in a similar uh, kind of role in a similar kind of business would have pretty much the same answer. The days start early and ends late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the top of the show, you mentioned uh, another startup company, Organimi, uh, that I co-founded uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, my my alluvian job is my day job, which takes most of my time sort of between seven or eight in the morning and six at night, and then at night uh, I'll be getting down into into Organimi. So it's a, a full day, uh, spending a lot of time uh, uh, on uh, business development. Uh, we've got a marketing team uh, in Olivian, which has got a very different approach to marketing than a lot of the traditional marketing services organizations of larger law firms. Can we've you got, tell us about uh, that? Uh, sure. We're uh, obviously coming at it from a technology industry point of view. We're very much focused on uh, uh, social media, uh, online marketing, uh, and using you know the latest optimization tools, techniques, and capabilities that are available to extend our social reach, uh, to get people uh, uh, you know referencing the firm and developing some viral connections, mm-hmm. and really looking at non-traditional partnerships where we can bundle uh, legal services capabilities with uh, other non-legal capabilities that other uh, uh, firms are interested in taking to market. So if you think of the small and medium-sized uh, uh, business client, our target market is early stage companies up to 100 million in revenues. We're not particularly interested in competing for the business of Royal Bank or Rogers Communications, uh, uh, but certainly for companies that are entrepreneurial and looking to grow, uh, our packaged offerings like Bay Street in a Box and Virtual In-House Council 
we think are well suited to their needs. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and uh, I spend most of my day sort of, you know, working on that message and also spending time with um, uh, the lawyers on our team developing their capabilities. So one of the things that I think, uh, and I mentioned earlier, doing legal differently uh, is, a, is a cultural message uh, as much as a client-facing marketing message. Internally, we short form it to DLD, and we really encourage our lawyers on the team to think differently about their practices, think differently about mm. their work-life balance. I don't particularly care where they work from. We have a cloud-based legal service platform. Yep. Uh, we obviously care uh, a lot about the quality and consistency of the work that they're doing, but we've got a significantly higher degree of trust and flexibility on the lawyer side. Uh, and I spend a lot of time working with our lawyers from a mentoring point of view which I think is a big missing piece uh, that the traditional law firms are sort of losing touch of as as uh, as they deal with the competitive pressures that they're dealing with. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, and that gets back to the uh, you're, you're teaching about relationships, unique way of doing businesses. And I have a, I have a saying: you can steal it if you want. It's called we zag when everybody else zigs, and that's when you start to win the game. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on that. Um, you mentioned about Bay Street in a box and virtual in-house counsel. Can you pick one of those and and uh, tell tell our audience coast to coast as to how how that works? And this is a startup community model, so uh, whichever one works re- relevant to the to the audience would be great. Yeah, I mean, uh, the way I typically talk about Bay Street in a Box as an example um, is I'll start with a story that I actually got from a tech entrepreneur when I was originally, you know, kicking around the ideas that became uh, Bay Street in a Box. Uh, and, and, and I said to him, you know, one of the problems with traditional legal services firms, um, and it struck me that there were two key ones, one was the high cost and the other was the complete lack of interest in using technology to automate and streamline things is it's a lot like being in the back of a cab and you're in the cab and you can see the meter clicking along and uh, you're driving down the road and you're worried about whether you should get out at the next stoplight because you don't know where you're going or how far it's going to be or how much it's going to cost um, and and uh, he laughed and he said yeah you know that's that's true that's a good that, that's a good analogy the only difference is with law firms you can't see the meter Um, And and I think, uh, you know, the perception that uh, business entrepreneurs have uh, about lawyers, which is a perception I tend to share, having sat on both sides of the table, is that uh, lawyers are great and very capable people, but uh, to some degree have got a misplaced sense of their value. Um, And from a client's point of view, you really want to have great advice, but you want to have it in a transparent and affordable way and you've all heard the stories about my lawyer told told me they were going to do this and it was going to cost x and then they they uh, ended up delivering you know less or the same or more of what I wanted but it was 3x 5x right. whatever mm-hmm. so so what we've done with the Bay Street in a Box brand and there's a number of product offerings that will be coming under it is if you're focused on a transaction whether incorporating a business to get started whether wanting to set up an employee compensation system like a stock option plan, uh, uh, an incentive plan or similar structures, whether you're looking for seed financing, we do a lot of that both for companies and for the angel and VC investor community, or you're looking at acquiring a business or selling your business, whatever those things are, you should be able to know with a high degree of certainty at the front end 
what your legal service cost is going to be and what the deliverables are going to be. So uh-huh. having worked in the technology industry for the better part of a decade between law gigs, uh, I was really focusing on how professional services organizations scope out and manage their deliverables for their clients, contract on that basis, and then provide their clients with fixed fee not to exceed and transparent pricing structures. So if you look at who we're already uh, doing work with, with the Bay Street in a Box brand, uh, and we've been running on it now for you know the better part of six months, we've had cross-border transactions, we've had mergers, we've had domestic transactions, we've had financings. And I think if I was to pull an average on, you know, plus or minus 80%, 70% or 80% less than the cost people would have been paying uh, for using a legal service from a traditional Bay Street law firm for comparable quality deliverables. So mm. the, the clients are getting uh, transparency, they're getting affordability, they're getting accessibility. Um, and they're getting flexibility. When you shift it from the transactions that our clients engage in, in to their ongoing uh, business activities, if you're a company between zero and 100 million in revenues, you really can't, in most cases, cost justify having an in-house legal department. You know that's going to set you set you back 150 to 250 to 500 thousand dollars a year. Um, and so what we thought would be an interesting alternative would be to position a virtual in-house counsel, so law as a service model, where clients have access to our entire team of professionals uh, on a monthly subscription fee basis. So the Bay Street in a Box brand is focused on transactional activities, delivering high-impact legal service at a lower cost. The virtual in-house counsel brand is focused on providing clients ongoing advisory legal services, but taking out the pain issue of not wanting to pick up your phone and talk to your lawyer mm-hmm. uh, because you think you're going to have a bill coming at the other end of the phone that you don't want to eat. Yeah, and that, and that happens all the time. Absolutely, happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. so not uh, with Olivia. Yeah, well, and 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 on that note, uh, there's tons of startups across this country, in, in our community anyway. Uh, are you able to offer your services, Bay Street in a Box and Virtual In-House Council, across the country now? Uh, yeah, it's a great question, River. So uh, uh, certainly if you um, look at where we're trying to go from a scaling point of view, um, Alluvian's currently focused in Ontario. I spend a lot of time working with startups, early stage companies, clients. I've had uh, Maluba, Thalmic Labs recently in the news uh, based on acquisitions. They've done a bunch of other clients in the Waterloo to Toronto corridor. And our primary focus geographically uh, currently is uh, uh, KW to Toronto to Ottawa Triangle because we do tend to focus more on early stage uh, uh, companies in the technology and industrial and uh, life sciences areas. But our plan, and we're certainly already doing transactions and getting inbound uh, requests for support uh, uh, from across the country, is uh, to the extent we prove the model out, scale it out. So, uh, yeah, we're we're, uh, hoping to be there. 
So and that and that's I mean because I'm 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 marveling at the simplicity of your model, but the fact that you're doing it ahead of the scale everybody else is is so wonderfully I'll say intoxicating because the need is definitely there. That's why I was kind of like, hurry up, will you, Eric? Please, because I think what you're offering is a great value to uh, to our our our, our audience anyway is as uh, part of what their needs are going to be. So no, it's uh, great to, great to hear that. Thanks. Yeah. Is uh, just before I um, I go into the next question, I, I I am a firm believer you start the dating process before you actually want to date. So what's your uh, website address that so people can uh, start to check you out before, or of course even in Ontario? Yeah, it's uh, www. dot alluvian a l u v i o n law l a w. dot com. Cool. Cool. Um, what's the uh, what are three pieces of legal advice that every entrepreneur should know? Um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. I um, I was actually out meeting a, a client. Well, not a client yet, but he is going to be a client within about a week or so. Um, uh, doing some really interesting stuff in the virtual reality space. We're going to be uh, trying to help him get some funding and get. Uh, uh, get going on the path that actually is a very exciting path he set for himself. And he spent the first part of the time that we were talking, um, talking about how he felt like not having had a lawyer in terms of some of his past dealings with a lot of people in the world that he'd been dealing with, he disadvantaged himself. And there were lots of things that he felt Mm -hmm. like they'd been taken advantage on in some of their dealings with their partners that he that that he felt that if he if he was in a better position legally in terms of um, you know his documentation his contracts those sorts of things he'd be further down the path than than he is so I think the uh, the first bit of advice to people I'd have is you know think before not after uh-huh. there's a there's a tendency among people you know whether it's alluvian or other people there's lots of good people out there and we're not the only people who sure uh, offer affordable legal services uh the first piece of advice would be uh you know think before and not after it's a lot cheaper to get things done yeah. right the first time to, than to deal with the mess right um the second the second bit of advice which i think is related um is that you know good paper makes for good friendships so so whether you're talking about setting up uh, a business relationship with a partner uh, or uh, talking about negotiating a business arrangement with uh, customer suppliers, looking at buying a business, selling a business, spend the time uh, and, and get the quality advisory services you need to protect yourselves and it eliminates a lot of pain in your life. I guess the, uh, the, um, the third bit of advice I would say particularly to founders and entrepreneurs is uh, uh, don't quit until you know it's time to quit. So, uh, you know, there's lots of people who sort of wonder why it is that some businesses become successful and others don't. And the reality of it is if you peel back the onion on a lot of the companies that have been successful, uh, it's because, you know, when, at the times when things look bleakest, they sort of had enough passion and belief in their idea that they doubled down and they kept going. So uh, uh, the third bit of advice, which is not so much legal advice, but it's business advice, is don't quit. Right. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think that actually sort of speaks to another uh, dimension of the firm. My partner, Mike, 
uh, and I really between us have got, you know, many years of experience, not just as lawyers, but on the business side of the table, having worked in fairly senior roles in companies that were out there, uh, you know, getting burned all the time. And, and certainly, <laughs> certainly we like a lot of other founders have the burn marks to prove it. So there's yeah, a, it's a, there's a great, passage, man. It's a rite of passage. That's right. And there's a great <laughs> reservoir of good practical advice yeah. that comes out of that. So we've got lots of good advice for people on things not to do. Yeah, well, and, and it, but that's all right. As I say, it's the, definitely the rite of passage. You know, I remember um, I I had a business partner who who embezzled on me, and you know what was yeah. what was funny is all the people that aren't weren't entrepreneurs said, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh," and all the people that were entrepreneurs are like, "Yeah, well, whatever, you know, get yeah. over it, move on." You know, yeah. it's just the rite of passage. So yeah. I, I I want to dig a little deeper on one of the things you were talking about is in in the don't give up. Is there one area that you find in your experience in your journey and working with your clients as as the that's that's the area where they typically start to give up on i don't know if that question makes sense to you or not yeah yeah and i think there uh you know there's a lot that's been in the news you know in the last few years as the whole startup ecosystem thing has become you know the the buzz and the new new thing uh, the, 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 the references to pivots. And so, you know, if something's not working in one area, you'll see a lot of these early stage startup companies sort of pivoting to a new, uh, area or opportunity. So, um, I think the, the current expression of what a pivot is really is nothing more than a restatement of the, uh, uh you know, the don't give up mindset, which is what ultimately makes entrepreneurs successful. There's a difference. There's a difference, I'd say, between not giving up and being able to uh, take a step back um, and and take a look at the path you're on and and see if there's a better way to get to where you want to be. So, so one of the things that we see, for example, is that a lot of the people who tend to be giving up um, are are giving up likely because whatever it is that they've been trying to pursue is you know too small an opportunity and nobody told them soon enough that it was something that they should not be pursuing or it's or it's something where they haven't really thought through completely the business model the strategy the go to market approach that sort of thing so uh, uh. so there's a, there's a lot of people who um end up uh you know getting into this area particularly recent uh university graduates um, who who end up getting very frustrated, um, and it's because they've fallen in love with their idea, um, and when they find it, uh, you know, uh, a lot more challenging than they thought to pursue it, uh, that that leads to a sense of wanting to sort of throw the tools down and walk away. And mm-hmm. I think I think it's very valuable to sort of take the learning that you get from those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and take a step back and gather yourself up and uh, refocus and do it again elsewhere, uh, and apply the less that you know apply the lessons uh, that you've learned to get to your ultimate point of success. Mm, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it's very wise advice, legal or not. It's uh, it's bang on advice. And, and uh, you were talking about some of those things that cause people to get, uh, well, I'm done with this. Um, you yourself were able to ease investment regulations on startup business back in 2013. Now, that's what the script says anyway. So what's the what's the investment landscape for small businesses in Canada today? 
yeah, I think the um, uh, that that uh, that reference I think was back to some of the discussion that was happening around uh, the whole issue of crowdfunding and whether equity crowdfunding should be permitted. And uh, right. okay. we, we cool. were uh, we were very uh, strongly supportive of uh, of the idea of permitting it, although. Uh, and I don't think it's a function of the regulation and the, and the way it's been implemented. I think that is still, you know, a, a, a concept in motion in the sense that there hasn't been a lot of success in the market on the equity funding side. Uh, more generally, I think what we've seen, uh, and there's a bit of distortion because some really big dollars have been, been involved in going into companies like uh, Thalmic Labs and Desire to Learn and Hootsuite and others, right. is that there's a much higher... Uh, uh, a level of uh, receptivity uh, uh, internationally, to, particularly in the U.S., to looking at Canada as a place to invest. There's a whole bunch of good reasons mm. for, uh, you know, uh, VCs and other investors outside of Canada to look here. Huge opportunity here, and it tends to be undervalued compared to comparables in Silicon Valley. Domestically, federal government in particular, uh, you know, BDC, the Export Development Corporation, Industry Canada have done a great job from a policy point of view in encouraging and promoting uh, capital to get into uh, companies uh, and into the ecosystem. And so I think in general, uh, the market, at least from a dollar's point of view, is much more positive than it was, say, five or ten years ago. Uh, still lots of room to go, though, and I think the uh, the reality of it is Entrepreneurs need to suck up the fact that uh, people need to have successful exits. And, you know, Omers and other late stage venture uh. investors are really late stage venture investors because they don't want to take that much risk. Uh -huh. And but they're prepared to back winners and put a lot of cash into them. So, you know, Radian, we talked about a bit earlier, uh -huh. is a great is a great local market example in Fredericton of a hugely successful company now acquired by Salesforce. Um, and that was a that was a superlative job done by the management team uh -huh. uh, at that company. And there's other stories like that across the country. And we really need to get more and more of these stories going to be able to continue to attract more and more capital. It's a competitive market globally, um, and we we want to make sure that we get our share of it. And that means that we all need to focus on uh, success. Yeah, well, and and telling that success, I think that that's really important too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one last question for you, my friend. Um, and this has been a, I like to say, an epic conversation for all kinds of reasons. Um, but I want to get back to disruption because that's really what you're doing is disrupting a very age-old field. Uh, you're having uh, momentum with it. Uh, you're talking about scaling it. Um, but talk to our audience about disruption in general and what's, what's your advice for entrepreneurs looking to disrupt other industries? Uh, I think it's uh, it's a it's a theme that I think is fundamentally important. Certainly, from a, an investor point of view, it's probably gotten to the stage of sort of being a buzzword, which means it's likely being overused and probably <laughs> not well understood. Right. Um, but I think uh, you know if you take what's happening currently across virtually every industry that technology touches, and there's so many of them now, um, it's kind of the theme uh, for, for where things are going. And so if you're an entrepreneur, 
working into these areas, you definitely need to be thinking not only about who you're trying to disrupt, but also who's going to be eating your lunch. Mm, so, uh. so if you take the financial services area in Canada, um, as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, financial services is ripe for disruption. There's a lot of companies that are out there uh, already in the tech space, uh, Wealth Simple and others on the advisory side, companies working on payment solutions, mobile, other areas that are that are looking to disrupt traditional industries. If you peel back the hood, though, and look beneath those, you'll see Borrowwell has got CIBC as an investor. Yes, well, of course. Well, simple as mm. power financial behind them. Mm. So if you're an entrepreneur, disrupt, disrupting an industry doesn't mean destroying it, and it doesn't necessarily mean engaging in a hugely competitive uh, fight with the established players, because in 9 9.9 out of 10 cases, you're going to lose that battle. Yes. So, so, so have a very uh, good sense of not only you know who you are trying to to disrupt, but how you are trying to disrupt them, uh, and how you're going to make money uh, uh, doing that. I guess yeah. would be my advice. And the and the disruption can come at various levels too. If you're ultimately trying to teach yourself about how to live in this world of disruption, it doesn't mean you have to go from zero to four thousand miles an hour at one time. You can do little things that ultimately create a culture of disruption in your company, and then grow yeah. from there. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, w I mean, I would tend to agree with. I mean, it depends, I guess, in a sense. Like when mm -hmm. uh, when Uber introduced the the alternative um, platform for uh, people to book rides. That was a fairly massive disruption that was felt almost instantaneously. I mean, mm -hmm. people think people think of Uber as a ride-sharing service, but as everybody knows who's used it, there's some very sophisticated technology underneath the surface of that company that makes it all work. So mm. you know, th those guys started out with a plan. There had been three or four companies that had failed in the ride-sharing area before. Those guys sort of spun the Rubik's cube, and they they hung in there long enough to think it through, and uh, and that was huge, massive global disruption. I agree with you. There's also things that you do incrementally, and I think actually in the law area, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, law uh -huh. law is uh, you know the the horse being dragged to the water and being forced to drink in the sense that uh, you know lawyers can. I think lawyers who are sort of in their you know 40s to 50s to 60s. I sort of have this visual image of them just hoping they can get out of the door and close yeah. it before, yeah. before, before yeah. chaos descends. But if you're a young lawyer yes. and you're working in this profession and you're committed to it, you need to be figuring out how to make uh, more effective use of technology and how to make more effective projection of your personal brand, mm. uh, which are the two twin towers we think of the new law model, which is what we're promoting. Love the, it. Sort of the, the personal brand combined with the uh, you know more effective use of technology uh, to be able to survive and thrive. And that's going to be, uh, you know, by definition, an incremental exercise. So it's disruption every day yeah. uh, as much as you can do. Um, I may have asked you this question before. Actually, I think I did. You may have answered it. How about that? Uh, but I, I think it's such a an interesting question to ask. Just in case I can't remember what the answer was, I'm going to ask it one more time. Um, sure. The have do the older generations in law do they look at you and say, you know, come on, Eric, would you just they're like, do you get a lot of peer pressure to say, what the frig are you doing? 
yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I think a lot of people in the in the legal industry uh, fall into one of two camps. Uh, you know, there's one camp who are you know doing their thing. Uh, the guys on Bay Street tend to think that you know they're in their own world doing their own thing for large corporate clients and that world is not going to go away anytime soon mm-hmm. and there's still I mean there's still tons of stuff happening in terms of large transactions and large legal bills so right right so there's that audience who right. sort of look at it and and it's an interesting thing maybe but they're not really sort of focused on it. I think yeah. there's there's other people who look at it and, and, and uh, you know, when we were talking earlier, I was talking a bit about the lawyers who work for Alluvian and the ones we're looking to attract. There's really three audiences of them. There's the young lawyers who have graduated within the last three or four years who have found it difficult to find uh, work, not because they're not highly capable and, and, and very well credentialed, because it's incredible how talented on, on paper and in real life a lot of young people are, but because the market's not growing fast enough to absorb right. them and because older lawyers are hanging around longer. So so that's one of the audiences. Our second audience, primarily not exclusively women, late 20s to 40s who are sort of in a different you know zone in their life and are looking for different work-life balance choices, but are still very focused on contributing to the bank account and maintaining their credentials, uh, but having the flexibility to do that by working from home, or uh, you know the other flexibility things we offer. Right. But to get but to get back to your point, the last group actually is more senior lawyers who are either on the up and out model in traditional law firms, still very talented people. Some of them have a book of business. Some of them are interested in uh, you know only working for some of their clients because they don't want to work for others. Some of them want to be semi-retired, not fully retired. Those people are looking at it not as a negative thing, but as a potential positive way of extending their uh, longevity in the profession, uh, uh, dealing with less risk and stress, and not having to make a choice between the, the, the false choice between you know staying in a big firm um, and being out on their own and having to build their own practice. Uh. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot, and I'm going to tell you, I'm impressed. I just got a mention that from Alluvian Law discussing our disruptive legal service, Bay Street in a Box with Rivers Corbett on the podcast. Brilliant, my man. That's just, I don't know if it was you. I don't know if you get somebody helping you do it, but the fact is your company's focused in on engaging with clients in a very disruptive way in addition to delivering services. It says a lot about where your success is going to be. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch your journey. And if I can help you in Eastern Canada, get to uh, where you need to go, feel free to, to reach out when you're, you're coming this way. That's great, Rivers. Really appreciate the time and thanks for having us on the show. Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to more awesome entrepreneur content? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats and hashtag startup school, which you can catch every Monday when Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. 
Hi, this is Steve Beauchene, CEO and co-founder of Bose All Natural Brewing, and you're listening to Startup Canada Podcast. So let's let's go to the, you sold your company to your employees, presumably, again, based on my script, uh, on your 10th birthday. So you did two of these things. So can you talk to us about the, the selling of your company to your employees and what that's, what's that's meant for the company since sure. then? Sure. So the, from a, a legal technical side, the, the program that we are running is an employee share ownership program, quite often referred to as an ESOP. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it basically is, uh, is we started the brewery off, um, obviously not with enough money to, to get the thing off the ground. And so friends and family put some, some money into the company. And uh, over the last 10 years, they've seen uh, on paper the value of, of their investment go up dramatically. But because we're growing quickly, we're not issuing dividends and things like that. So they're not actually seeing any, any actual cash. Right. Some of these friends and family members, they're getting into their 70s and they're, they're starting to say, hey, is, is there any way to ever get any money out of this thing? And uh, so what we've done with this, uh, with this ESOP program is we've said, okay, the hardest part of getting your money out of a private business is, is finding buyers. And, and from our perspective as a brewery, we don't want just anybody as as an owner here so we don't even we're not even going to let you just just sell to anyone because you know we, we just we we're very very uh fiercely independent right so so what we said is let's set up this model where uh over time our employees can buy your shares and so the way the the process works is first we went to uh an independent third-party valuator uh they decided what the value of the company was based on revenues and profit and everything else, debt load, a big, big long report. And it came up with, you know, this is how much uh, the company's worth. And we said to the investors, uh, this is how much your shares are now worth. How much would you like to sell? And the investors that wanted to sell said, okay, this much. And then we turned to the employees and said, okay, we now have this many shares available. How, how much would you like to buy? And then we basically, we act as the intermediary to just match it up. And then this process repeats every year so that over time, the goal is that 100% of the shares that are out there will be owned by people who are actively engaged in the company. And so what this Love does it. for me and yeah, what this does for, for me and dad is we now have a, a guaranteed exit plan. From our employees' perspective, this is huge because they're no longer just working for a paycheck and they're not just working because they like the the values mm-hmm. of the company. They're now part owners with us and every decision they make is now through a lens of, I'm an owner here. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see this company do as well as humanly possible because I'm going to be one of the ones that really benefits from it. And uh, I, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, making this transition was really um, living up to a promise that we, we'd made. And obviously we didn't promise our employees they'd all get ownership of the company. But when we hired people, we, we always said, you know, we're a friends and family company. We're going to treat you as if you're just as important as any family member. We're going to treat you like you're part of the ownership team. Mm. And so in turning 10, we said, you know what, we're not going to, we're no longer going to treat you like your owners we're going to make you owners. 